0: Good morning everybody, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, welcome to our service of worship, glad that you're here today. Um, it's not raining yet, it's not cold yet, so uh, we're able to, uh, to get here and uh, be with our sisters and brothers in Christ and, uh, and that's good news. Um, I guess we could get out in the rain, couldn't we? Yeah, and if it were cold, we'd still make it, right? Right, but anyway, it's been a good morning, uh, been a great morning. We've got Reverend Cynthia Vaughn here today. She's preaching. Um, you you may recognize Cynthia. She comes to the eight fifteen service. She's here about every week. Sits back on the back row. We're going to introduce her to the other services um, today, and I'm really glad to have her preaching. Um, she's a United Methodist minister from the North Georgia Conference and um, worked here at uh, New Hanover Regional Medical Center for many years as a chaplain there and is now retired. And like I say, she worships here with us. And um, you're going you're gonna to love what she has to say. It's uh, definitely um, important for us to hear. So it's been a great, great morning already. Um, are you keeping up with your Vision 2020 journal? Yes, yes. What's, what's the goal this month? To pray? What? Three times a day. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's easy. Others are like, well, you know, it's good to get a little discipline, right? Um, yeah, so stick with it th- at least three times a day. We're going to pray each month, and then we're going to carry that over into February, okay? We're going to keep praying.
1: Okay, two down, one more to go. <laughs> it's been a long time since I preached three sermons on one day. Back in 1996, I think was the last time I did that. Um, I'm honored to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Doug. I appreciate the opportunity to come off the back row of the early morning service and to stand here before you today and be able to see the whole church at one time. That is really great. Um, Many of the people who come to the 8 o'clock service don't know me because they sit either over here or over there, and they can't see the back row. And I can't see them, so it's really good to be able to see, to just look around and see everybody today. It's good to have you with us today. Today is known as Human Relations Sunday in the United Methodist Church, and often referred to the Martin Luther King Sunday in the rest of the world. Uh, church, I don't know about the rest of the world, but about the church, the country. Um, <clears throat> When Pastor Doug asked me if I would come and preach, he gave me four months of Sundays that I could choose from as to which one I wanted to preach at. And because of my schedule, this was the first one that would give me time to work on a sermon and be ready to preach on Sunday. So I chose this Sunday. I did not give any thought to the fact that today was Martin Luther King Sunday and that people might expect a rousing sermon from an African-American woman uh, who was preaching on that day. And even um, Pastor Doug came to me one Sunday and he said, that's Martin Luther King Sunday. Are you going to preach about King?" might not be exactly what you said, but something to that effect. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I really hadn't planned to. You know, it's Human Relations Sunday, and that means everybody. So anyway, I'm here this morning. I'm very glad to be here. Um, One of the reasons why I wanted to do this day was because the scriptures in the lectionary for this Sunday are the scriptures that I used when I preached my ordination sermon back in 1996. And I thought it would be good to use uh, those scriptures to preach today because I wouldn't have to do as much work to prepare the sermon. (laughs) But I was a bit mistaken there because there's still a lot of work that has to be done because you're preaching to a different group of people. The scriptures may be the same, the message may be the same, but the delivery has to be different because people are different. And we see things through different lenses and we receive things differently. The church that I preached to, my home church in Atlanta, there were almost 8,000 members of an African American United Methodist Church that I was a member of, so we had lots of services. Um, And I was just out of seminary. Um, I had worked for Bell South for 20 years, and so, you know, it was different. The world was different back in 1996. So, the things that you talk about and think about today are different than they were then. Um, Although, when we think about the Church of Corinth back in Paul's day, Corinth was a seaport city, much as Wilmington is. And some of the things that the people did back in those days in Corinth are some of the things that we do today in Wilmington. So though things were different, sometimes things are still the same. We just have to look at them from a different angle. That being said, our scripture for today is not the one that I preached in 1996. It is from the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 9. Listen for a word from the Lord. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him, you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Loving God, we've heard in your word this morning that the church of Corinth was called to be saints called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray, O God, that you would open up our minds, our hearts, our spirits, that we might receive a word from you today with a better understanding of who it is we are to be and what it is we are to do as Christians. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So what does it mean to be called saints? I had to ponder that for a bit because I didn't really know what it meant to be called saints. The word saint has come a long way from its original meaning in the New Testament times when they, according to Paul, were simply people who believed in Jesus Christ and therefore were saved by grace. There were people who called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those were saints. I read about a little boy who attended a church that had a beautiful stained glass windows. He was told that the people in the windows were saints. Saint Matthew, Saint Mark, Saint Luke, Saint John, Saint Paul, and so on. He was fascinated by them And each time he was in the sanctuary, he couldn't help but stare at those windows and marvel at those saints. One day, someone asked him, what is a saint? And the little boy quickly replied, a saint is a person whom the light shines through. If you were to ask an adult that same question, you might get a slightly different answer, such as, a saint is a person long dead who has been officially declared as an ecclesiastical relic. If you were to ask a comedian, who often cloaks their truth in humor, the comedian might say, a saint is a dead sinner, revised and edited. <laughs> if the question were posed to an NFL football team down in Louisiana, the crowd might say, who that?" then the whole team would come marching right in. If you were to ask Paul, Paul would say, the saints are the Lord's people. The community of Jews, even, at Jerusalem, who chose to follow Jesus Christ. Anyone who calls on the Lord's name are saints. About 20 or 30 years ago, when Disciple Bible Study came out and some other Bible studies came out and were very much studied in the United Methodist Church. Some of them were Baptist Bible studies that were studied in the Methodist Church. Some of those people who studied those Bible studies began to call themselves saints, and everybody who had not taken those classes were sinners. About that same time, Donnie McClurkin, who is an urban gospel singer and pastor of a church in New York, made public his personal struggle with homosexuality, and he had a hit song around that time called, We Fall Down. The chorus of that song was, a saint is just a sinner who fell down and got back up. Might that hold true for some of us? maybe. A saint is also thought to be morally perfect, and to have broad influence on religious masses. I learned the other day as I was preparing the sermon that a cause for canonization was opened for Dorothy Day in the year 2000. That means that they are looking at making her a saint. It is said that she initially led a very worldly lifestyle, that she had lots of lovers that she jumped from one to the other, to the other, to the other, and that she even had an abortion during that time. And Then she found herself pregnant again and she decided to keep the child, and this time the father of the child stayed with her until just after the child was born, and then he left. She soon converted to the Catholic Church. And as a journalist, she supported herself and her daughter. She later started the Catholic Worker Movement. I guess the argument could be made that she did all of this running around before she converted to Catholicism, before she became a Christian. While on the other hand, we cannot say that Martin Luther King Jr. committed the allegedly acts of adultery before he became a Christian but then he was not Catholic, so we need not worry about a cause for canonization being opened for him. Yet I I cannot help but wonder, although he could not have become a saint, if he were alive today, would he have a chance of being a Supreme Court Justice or President of the United States? In spite of his infidelity King had a broad influence on religious masses. When the Catholic Church considers one for sainthood, one of the criteria is, what miracles have happened as a result of this person's teachings or ministry? Professor David Carlin, who's a politician, author, and member of the Catholic Church, and an avid attacker of the Equality Act, which would extend civil rights protections to LGBTQ community, said, that if Plato was right in saying that doing injustice is worse than suffering injustice, then King was a greater benefactor of whites than of blacks. For blacks had suffered injustice, but whites had done the worst thing, inflicting injustice. In teaching whites to give up their wrongdoing, he was conferring a greater benefit on them than he had on blacks. We must not lose sight, however, when we think about saints, because we must remember that they should have a special relationship to the sacred. According to Paul, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can be a saint, but they must also be called into fellowship with God's Son and not be left out in isolation. During World War II, The enemy conducted experiments to find out the most effective way to pry information from the prisoners. They found that the best way to do that was to put them in solitary confinement for a few days, and then they told them anything they wanted to know because they had been lacking in fellowship. That's why we need fellowship today, because without it, we become easy prey for temptation and abandonment of our values. It becomes easy to fall down when you don't have fellowship to support you. I felt very supported this morning. I had an alkalite on each side of me. That felt really good. When, for the first service this morning, I have to say this, for the first service this morning, when we came in, the candles were lit. No, the candles weren't lit. When we got about right there, the light went out So the candles didn't get lit, and I thought, oh, my God, is that a sign? (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have come today. But then Pastor Doug saved the day, and he lit them. So when we came in just then, the lights were lit, and then one went out. And I thought, what's with the lights? And then I thought, maybe I shouldn't have been here again. And then Pastor Doug fixed it. And it went out again. And then I said, well, I got two alkalites on either side of me, so I'm good. (laughs) Not going to worry about that. We don't need to be isolated. When we are isolated, it's easy for us to let doubt and all other kinds of things enter into our minds and our consciousness. So being supported by others and by people who are also in fellowship with Jesus Christ is a wonderful thing. When I serve the church in Atlanta, I enjoy visiting retired ministers and professors from Emory University and Candler School of Theology. I served the, the large community church there on that campus um, called Glen Memorial. And I was telling them earlier today that uh, out of the congregation, there were about 46 ordained clergy as members of the congregation. Um, And many of the others were either professors at Emory in their religion department, or they were professors at Campbell School of Theology. So there I stood. Um, Been in the ministry for three years, and there I was to stand there and preach before God and everybody and all those professors. But it was a wonderful thing to go visit retired ministers who were in senior citizens' homes, or even in their own homes. There was one professor in particular, his name was Chuck Gerken. He was well known and beloved at Camden School of Theology and he authored many books on pastoral care. But after his wife died, he became a bit isolated and then he finally moved into a senior citizen home. I'll never forget the look on the uh, CNA's faces when I went there to serve him communion. One of them got up the nerve to say to me, I understand that he's a preacher. And I said, well, yes, he is. He's ordained in the United Methodist Church. And she looked at me and she shook her head. She said, man, he curses like a sailor. (laughs) What could I say? In the academic and theological world of pastoral care, Chuck Gherkin was a saint. But when he was with the people that had to take care of him every day, he was just a sinner who needed to be saved in their eyes. A saint is just a sinner who fell down, who has to get back up. Being called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ our Lord means having a special relationship to the holy while also being in fellowship with others of like mind. We are community. We fellowship in community here at Wrightsville United Methodist Church. We are needing one another. Those of us who serve like the four or five people who are in stoles or who serve as ministers of this church, we have a need to be served as well. We, as people of God, learn to cooperate, to be open and to be willing to be vulnerable. We need spiritual friends who give us courage to look at ourselves and to look at our faults and our defects. We need spiritual friends who will help us gain new insights and to offer the same to you. We need each other. Being in community or in fellowship is a form of spiritual discipline. And like prayer, it doesn't just happen. It requires intentionality. Without intentional worshipping, without intentional fellowshipping, a group is just a group. It's not a community. As long as Jesus walked the face of the earth, his disciples were a group of people who followed him around. Through his death and resurrection, that group of people found a reason to be, to witness to the world. They became a group of believers who met in homes and other places around the city and called themselves church. They shared their faith and they helped each other grow in their lives in God. They became community what Dr. Mary Lutie calls the living gospel, a group of people who were committed to building one another up, not tearing each other down. The United Methodist Church used to be a community of people who believed as John Wesley did, but sometimes I think we have come to be just a gathering of folk. These United United States of America used to be one nation, a community under God committed to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness for all people. But of late, I'm beginning to think we are just the gathering of red and blue states. Would that we would take the time to build up community and not tear it down. We need to take some time to hear each other's stories and when possible, to walk a mile in their shoes, or at least to walk the mile with them. We need to take a little time to consider, to revisit the overall mission and vision of our church and our country. We need to take a look at our history. How do we become united in the first place? United Methodists, United States. What do we do to become united? And what do we need to do to stay that way? Maybe we need to take time to experience each other together or to experience things together, like we did last Sunday when we remembered our baptism, and like we're doing this month as we engage in spiritual practices for the rest of this year, but particularly this month in praying three times a day beyond the blessing of the food. As Pastor Doug reminds us, doing these things will not save us but they may serve to bind us together in true Christian love and keep us from falling. It is important for us to note the specifics of God calling us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, because just the other day, I came across something on the Internet that I had not heard before, something called generic Christianity. I had a a real hard time wrapping my head around generic Christianity. I had to look the word generic up to help me understand it. Generic means without a registered trademark, not the original patent. Similar, but not the same, a knockoff. When I think of generic, I think about my generic prescription. And I find it's not quite as effective as as the brand name was but yet it works. The generic Christians in their gathering together have streamlined our rich apostles' creed into a creed that consists of three articles of their faith. One, God loves us all. Two, Jesus was a good and wise man who taught many first-class ethical ideas both by example and by precept. And three, we must love our neighbors. In effect, there's no acknowledgement of God as the almighty creator of all, There's no Jesus the Christ, Son of God, fully human, fully divine. There's no Lord of our lives, no birth, death, or resurrection, no Holy Spirit, no Holy Catholic Church, no communion of saints, and no rules to live by. There's no forgiveness of sins, but maybe they don't think they commit any, so they don't need to be forgiven. You might wonder why they even call themselves Christians to begin with. Yet before I read their articles of faith, the mere title itself stunned me. Generic Christianity, written with a capital G and a capital C, means it's gaining in credibility as an alternative faith group to the faith of the early Christian movement. That happens when we stop being in fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God. That happens when we stop praying, when we stop studying, when we stop worshiping, when we stop believing in the triune God, as trademark Christians, we are called to be in fellowship of Jesus Christ, who holds the pattern, who himself was always in fellowship with others, except for the times when he went off to pray by himself, off to pray to God. And my guess, it was praying for himself and for those around him. He did not separate himself from others. Nor did he think himself as more holy or more deserving than those around him, no matter who they were at any given point in time, whether they were Jew or Gentile, male or female, enslaved or free, rich or poor, young or old, saint or sinner. Remember, a saint is just a sinner who fell down but got up. We, the people of Riceville United Methodist Church and Christians all around, are called to be trademark Christians, brand-named Christians. We may sometimes be generic Christians, but we are called to move on towards perfection together into the fellowship of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to pray as he prayed, to serve as he served, to believe as he believed in a God who holds the pattern and who is forever faithful. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.